The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series authored by Mercedes Lackey, Dennis Lee, Cody Martin, with Larry Dixon and Veronica Jaguer. Read and produced by Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Book 4, World Divided. Bad Moon Rising, Part 1. Written by Mercedes Lackey and Cody Martin. Johnny? Upier's pale face seemed to hover in the shadows of the doorway. Most of the lights were off in the CCCPHQ, not just to satisfy Savior's penurious nature, but to cut the generation of heat. The only rooms in HQ that were air-conditioned at this point were the computer room and Sovi's sickbay. Commissar is being want to see you, a matter of your... John lifted his sweaty head off of the couch arm in the break room. She read the report, didn't she? He had to assume Upier shrugged. He couldn't see her shoulders. Nichevo, you still being want to see you on ladder. Dave? John had become used to jogging everywhere when he was still in the army. Now wasn't any different for him. Tying the sleeves of his coverall around his waist, he started off at an easy lope to the commissar's cramped office. Red Savior was clearly waiting for him. She had a stack of papers in front of her that she wasn't looking at, and an evil little smile on her face. Previet, comrade Murdoch, she purred. I am having assignment for you to make up for destruction of CCCP transportation. Uh, Roger, Commissar. You read the report, didn't you? She said nothing for a moment, just fixed him with a glare that was altogether too much like being fixed with twin laser beams. About assignment, Doctor of Rasputin is finding difficult to find replacement parts for CCCP equipment. Also, Van comes with solving a transportation deficit. His sturdy invention, Craig's List, very useful. You will be obtaining both in... Uh, she consulted a piece of paper that was two sheets into the pile. Adair, outside of Atlanta. Is Borzoi bus going there in one hour? Here is ticket. She handed him a bus ticket with a running dog on it. Better to hurry, or we'll be missing transportation. Right. In stinking hot Georgia. He hoped the bus would have AC. Any further instructions, Commissar? If not, I'd like to grab a quick shower. You are knowing where Depot is. That smile was back. Is long walk, comrade. She really wanted him to suffer. I can move fast when I need to, Commissar. You don't need to worry about me. I'm not worried about you, comrade Murdoch. The smile was even broader. It will be even longer walk if you are to miss bus. She paused, a long, significant, and very pregnant pause. She took the time to rake him with that wolf look of hers. You are dismissed. John offered a quick salute and immediately dashed out of the office. His seatmate had no front teeth and constantly sucked air through the gap. So, that's what I stabbed him and took his mints. 
The man slapped his knee and started cackling loudly, drawing a few stares from the other passengers. Not that the other passengers were a sterling set, either. They looked like they could all be his neighbors in meth heaven. So, what's a slick fella like you doing around these parts? These guys were psychic. They always knew when you didn't want to talk to them. Just through on business, old-timer. You some kind of traveling salesman. The old man was not going to leave him alone. John decided that desperate measures were in order. You could say that. John flashed a fake smile. I primarily deal in metals. Lead, for instance. The bulge of a pistol under John's jacket drew the attention of his seatmate, who immediately snapped his eyes straight ahead. Uh, all, r- all right, mister. I, I, I just need to use the bathroom. Yeah, good plan, Stan. The old man got up and hurriedly found another seat as far away from John as possible. The rest of his trip was completely uneventful, for which John was very thankful. Also thankful that the bus had working air conditioning. Adair, Georgia, was out in the swampland between Atlanta and Savannah. If it had been hot in Atlanta, it was worse out here. John got off at an open-air drop-off on Main Street, which appeared to be the only street, and consulted his directions. Adair was an island in the swamp, bisected by the causeway. It appeared from where he stood that half of the local population traveled by airboat, and the other by cars, trucks, and vans, no younger than twenty years old. Finally, he spotted what he was looking for, a swinging store sign that said, T. Taylor, TV radio and tool repair, that was so faded as to be almost illegible. The humidity was so heavy he felt like he was swimming up the street towards it. The sun was setting, but there was no relief in sight from the heat that he could detect. The sign on the door said closed, but there was someone moving around inside, and the door was open when he pushed on it. Hello? Y'all open? John scanned the store, dusty shelves piled high with disassembled parts and components for all sorts of electronics, some of which he could identify, but most of which was alien to him. Riffinura, the ancient withered old man behind the counter tilted his bifocals and consulted a scrap of paper. Johnny Murdoch, then, yep. If you got money for some of this to your stuff, then, yep. If you want something fixed, then, uh, nope. He nodded. Ah, uh, Murdoch. It's a uh, John, by the way, and I got the cash. Mind if I check out the stuff first? The old man cackled. It's all in the van. The van's in the back. Help yourself. John circled around to the back of the shop and was stopped short by the sight of the van. White, with lettering so faded it looked like ghostwriting. Dented and rusty, it was probably old enough to vote and drink. Is this heap of crap even going to run? Or drop its guts out from under me? It looked just as old as the shopkeeper, and even more banged up. The contents weren't any better. Boxes of ancient electronics. Dusty, probably functional, but certainly not pretty. If the commissar thought it was worth wasting money on, it wasn't his place to argue. 
Then again, considering the age and state of repair of most of the CCCP equipment, maybe this was the only way to get spare parts. After a few abortive attempts at starting the van, the tired machine decided that it could be goaded into performing its job. No doubt that John and Grigori could get it fixed up once it was back at the CCCP garage. But the trip back was another problem entirely. By now it was dark. The little dried-up town was barely lit with a few lights and windows, most of which were rivaled by the lightning bugs out in the swamp. And it was still hot. And humid. And, of course, the A.C. on the van was 240, two windows down and 40 miles an hour, which was all the van would do flat out. Ironically, the radio was the most functional part of the beast. At least as a radio repairman, the old fart knew his job. Of course it was an A.M. radio, which meant... Religious, sports, politics, religious, politics, religious... Some sort of weird rant that was political, sports, alien abductions, and religious. Finally, he found some sort of honky-tonk station that faded in and out, but at least it was music. It finally strengthened when the DJ announced that he was going for a break and was going to play a Credence Clearwater revival set. That suited John. Or at least it suited John right up to the point when the set cycled to Bad Moon Rising. The tune was upbeat, but the lyrics... The lyrics sounded like they'd been written as a vision of the invasion. It had gotten to the chorus when John felt all of the hairs on the back of his neck stand up. Something felt off. Over the years, his instincts had become fairly well honed. Doing the work that he did with the army, you had your training, your buddies beside you, and your gut. Nothing else. You had to trust all of them. Instinctively, John scanned the swamp on either side of the road. It was nearing twilight, with the sun already sunk behind the trees, so details were harder to make out. The fact that he was trying to pay attention to the road, and the headlights on the van were in no better shape than the rest of it, didn't help matters. Slowly, he became aware of an odd hum, some sort of vibration that permeated the air. That's familiar as all hell for some... When the death sphere screamed over the road, bathing everything in the sickly orange light from its alien propulsion, John had to slam down the brakes to avoid getting thrown off the causeway by the backwash. Or whatever you'd call it. Near as anyone could tell, the death spheres used anti-grav, and whatever was under them got shoved. Hard. The trees that were under its path had smashed off limbs, and some had been completely blown down. Time for the understatement of the century. That can't be good. John gasped the van, which was gracious enough not to die on the spot. A few dozen yards ahead on the road was a turn-off in the direction that the Thulians were heading. It was marked with a sign denoting a power plant ten miles away. There's nothing else out here for miles. That has to be where they're going. He skidded the van around the turn, gunning its engine for all that it was worth. John fished out his issued cell phone from a pocket, hitting the speed dial for CCCP HQ. He's to be hoping you are not walking to Atlanta, Comrade Murdoch, said Gamayun's voice. Commissar would be wroth. Uh, comrade, I I've got a real emergency out here. We've got Nazis heading for a power plant alongside the highway about 30 miles from where I picked up the van. It's going to beat me there, 
This piece of crap is too slow, and they're going too fast. I need help fighting these guys. John paused a moment, listening for some sort of response. There was a rapid-fire burst of Russian and two voices, both female. Gamayun must be alerting someone. Then, call... The phone cut out. God damn it! Rotten cell phone reception might actually be the death of me. He tried to raise HQ on the phone again, but no joy. He threw the useless device into the passenger seat in disgust and exasperation. I've got bigger problems right now. Like how he was going to fight off an entire unit of Nazi troopers in power armor, along with air support from a death sphere. He'd never had to take that much on by himself. When the CCCP HQ got hit, he'd had Savior, Grigori, Sovie, Chug, and Bella. Let's hope that Gamayun is getting everyone on their feet. Even if they moved like demons out of hell, they'd still only get here in thirty minutes at best. More than enough time for me to either have saved the day or been turned into a fine paste. Maybe both. How many Nazis fit in a sphere, anyway? He didn't have a chance to see if there were any attached to the outside, either. That's how they picked up ground troops that got taken out. The number might be crucial. One too many would be fatal. Never mind. He'd have to deal with all of them no matter what. Pushing thoughts of getting atomized or burnt alive out of his mind, he focused on keeping the battered man on the road. Before John knew it, he was around the last bend in the road. Oh, shit! There across the road was a very nervous-looking squad of soldiers, all pointing their weapons at him. He screeched the van to a halt, being very careful to keep his hands on the top of the wheel. All of the soldiers were shouting commands at him. It wasn't hard to figure out he was supposed to turn the van off and get out with his hands up, and he complied quickly. He got his bearings fast. The plant was a good-sized one, one with a large and grassy clearing on one side, with the three sides bordered by forested swamp. There was a sign proclaiming that this plant had been converted to burn waste wood, and there was a series of huge mounds of the stuff along one side. The road dead ended at a parking lot with a security fence and a tiny guard shack, with the squad between him and it. The parking lot in front only had a few cars in it, one Humvee with a mounted gun on the coaxial turret, and then regular civilian vehicles. What caught his attention was the smoldering wreckage in one corner only a hundred yards away. Clearly some piece of military equipment. It was completely destroyed, preventing John from properly identifying it. Keep your frickin' hands above your head! Get down on your knees, now! The soldier was wearing a staff sergeant's stripes. He looked like the average middle-aged white guy, with a face that could have belonged to a mailman or an office worker. John followed the sergeant's instructions, moving slowly and deliberately. These guys had just been attacked, and John didn't want to get shot by a scared private. My name is John Murdoch, and I'm a metahuman. I'm with the CCCP. I'm here to help, guys. He nodded at the still-smoking wreckage. I saw the sphere from the road. Sergeant Lawson? One of the other soldiers moved forward from the staggered line, still keeping his rifle trained on John while he talked to the staff sergeant. I've heard of these guys. Kami Metas that work with Echo in Atlanta. They're legit. 
The sergeant took in the information and spent a few long moments looking John over before he relented. All right. Stand down, squad. They all lowered their weapons. John noticed that no one engaged safeties, however. The sergeant walked forward to John, extending his hand as John moved to meet him. Glad to see you. Name's Staff Sergeant Lawson, with the National Guard. I tried to get through to HQ, but all I have with me is a cell. Reception broke off before I could get a response. Now he wished he had Vicky on overwatch. Even if she couldn't make the CCCP transport move any faster, at least she could keep him updated. What's your status here, Sarge? After the invasion, we all got activated. They've just got us tasked to protect key points in case there was another push. We had just got done with helping do some clearing and reconstruction in Atlanta before we were sent here. We've been here a week with nothing happening, until that damned silver ball came floating over. He pointed at the burning wreckage. That used to be our air defense. An old MIM-72 chaparral that they dug up from God knows where. Maybe a museum. He shrugged. Anyways, it tracked and fired on the sphere as soon as it was over the trees. Army had outfitted the usual Sidewinder missiles with new warheads that they said were going to burn the Nazis up. It did hit, and it did set them afire, but didn't kill the sphere. Charlie got zapped along with two of my men. The sergeant shuffled his feet and had a look on his face that John had seen too often, especially when he looked in a mirror. It's never an easy way to deal with troops dying under your command. Something I'm more acquainted with than most. Gotta keep focusing. Gotta keep lost and focused. Is that it? Uh, Lawson, right? What happened to the Nazis after that? We used up all the Stinger missiles we had on it. Took a chunk out of them, but didn't finish it off. It limped away about uh, due west, right over that clearing. We got off a call to McPherson base, but they're on the other side of the goddamn state from us. Help is on the way, but it's going to be a while before they get here. One of the men had the squad radio with him and running. He was listening with increasing alarm. Sarge! He interrupted. We ain't the only ones. Them Nazis is popping up all over. <laughs>